I am very thankful this morning to be able to call myself mom. It's one of the greatest um, labels I feel like I've been given in my life. But I will be the first to admit that I operate a lot in fear. I want everything to be absolutely perfect for my three boys. I want everything to go right for them. I want them to be safe. I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy. And I really don't want them to face any trial that I've ever faced or trials that are harder um, than I've ever faced. And so I will say that there are many days that my very um, independent, strong, controlling personality often gets in the way um, of my life as an individual, and it often gets in the way of my life as a mom. And so I come before you today as we get ready to share with you about not fearing and parenting with a very vulnerable heart. Because I often days pick up the label of fear and let it drive me forward instead of picking up the armor of God and allowing it to be the thing that fights forward for my kids. So today we hope that you are challenged to walk closer with God as you seek to parent your children and in any other relationship that you have. So as we get to the end today, we hope that you will be challenged and have an answer to the question of, are we looking to raise our kids in the faith of Jesus or with the faith of Jesus? Because what I feel and know to be so true is that no matter what comes their way, no matter what they face, I want them to ultimately stand with the power and the armor of God and to trust that He is with them and that He will fight for them and ultimately that they will make their choices out of zero fear but in total faith that Christ has them. And I really appreciate Julie's vulnerability just opened up and saying, hey, listen, I parent with fear a lot, but let's be honest, fear is a, uh, fear is a factor with you. You guys remember fear factor of the show, right? It is first, right? If we had any question of that, all we have to do is, is, all we had to do this week is maybe be on Facebook for, I don't know, six seconds and realize that as a nation, we're freaked out, all right? Fear is running rampant right now around our country, and, and, and I, I think the reality is it always is running consistent in our lives. Fear dictates and decides and motivates us, motivates us more than we would care to imagine, right? And so this morning, as we look into how it hits the context of parenting, it would be good if there were like some promises from God somewhere in the Bible that had to do with fear, right? That we could hold on to. And the cool part is there are a ton of promises from God about fear because God knows right? That one of the devil's greatest tools he uses against us is fear. Almost every single time we see some kind of divine interaction with human beings, the first thing that is said to human beings is, don't be afraid, fear not, be strong and courageous. He's dealing with our issues with fear. So here's a, here's a great promise from God from Hebrews 13 about fear. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no Fear. What can mere people do to me? Great promise, isn't it? Right? But here's the thing with promises. The context of a promise makes that promise either really great or not that great. If God was giving this, this promise to us in the context of like sitting on a couch watching movies, okay, wouldn't be that great of a promise. Like, hey, just so you guys know, I am with you and I'll never fail you on your way from the couch to get some more chips and to come back with some, you know what I mean? Like, that's a good promise and I want God to be with me when I'm getting chips. I like chips as much as the next guy, right? 
But the cool thing about this promise is this promise is actually from Deuteronomy 31. It's given in Deuteronomy 31 when the Israelites are just about to move and to take possession of the promised land. And the crazy thing about the promised land is this, is it wasn't empty. It wasn't unoccupied. It was full of a bunch of enemies of God. And what God was saying is, hey, listen, here's the deal. I want you to go into the promised land, this land that I have for you. But here's the deal. You're going to fight battles and some of y'all are going to die and it's going to be tough. And those are real swords and real arrows and it's real. And you're going to fight for your life. But I want you to know this. As you're fighting for your life against the enemies of God, I will be there and I won't abandon you and I will go out ahead of you and I will never fail you. So go into the most dangerous experience of your life. But be strong and courageous, because guess what? I'm with you. And you say, Darren, that's good, but I, I mean, I hope we don't have to start taking up swords and like going to battle for the Lord, right? How does that do with, have to do with my parenting, right? That he sent them into battle. Well, I don't think we have to live very long to realize that every single day we are in a battle for the souls and the minds and the hearts of our children and our families, Right, this context was given to, 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 to Moses. He said to the people of the Lord, right? He says, the Lord will destroy the nations living uh, in the land, just as, he just as he destroyed Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites. And he says this, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Why does God bring up Sion and Og? Okay, kind of weird. Was he just trying to figure out, you know, maybe that's Sion and Og, do something like that. God was, was bringing that up as he was sending them into the promised land because prior to this moment, they had had a time where they had to battle Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites. And here's the story. Here's what happens. We pick it up in Numbers, and it goes like this. They're about to go into battle against Sion and Og. This is why God's reminding them of this situation as he's telling them to be strong and courageous because they were about to go into battle against these guys, and this is what happened. It says, the Israel sent emissaries to Sion, king of the Amorites, and said, let us cross your land. We won't trespass into your fields. We won't even drink your water in your village, in your vineyards, right? We'll keep to the main road, the king's road, until we're through your land. So here's the context. God says, here's the deal. I want you to go in, and, and it gets a little aggressive, but I want you to kill all these people, and you're going to take possession of that land because I give it to you, so go. And on the, on the precipice of moving out into battle, the Israelites get scared. And in fear, they're like, hey, could we maybe talk about a peace treaty? Right? Like, listen to what they're saying here. Like, the, the Lord our God is going to be with us. We're going to clear out this land. Or if we could just walk through in like the center of the road, right? Like, we won't even eat your food. We won't drink your water or your wine, anything. In fact, you know what? This isn't even a road. It's the, your king's road. It's the king's road, right? Like, they're buttering them up. It's your king's road. It's your water. It's your. Just listen, if you look that way and we look this way, we'll just cruise right past here. No one needs to get any heads cut off or sores. <laughs> Why would we deal with that? Let's have peace. Peace, 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 right? The reality about you and me and the way that we parent and the way that we live, at least for me, you know what I feel like I'm doing a lot of times? Is I'm going, hey, uh, devil, <laughs> about you saying, I know the Bible says that you're here to steal and kill and destroy my family and you're the father of lies and so you're constantly trying to deceive us so that we mess up our kids and our whole life and you're really against us. If we could just have a peace treaty, that would be cool. I know that God has said we have the victory and he said all these promises, but why mess with that? How about this? I'll just stay kind of on the straight and narrow, keep things nice and cool. I, you know what? If you, if you want this to be your road, it can be your road, devil. I'll just kind of just be here and I'll just try to keep the rules 
right? I'll just stay on the straight and narrow rule thing, and I'll do that, and I'll teach my kids. Well, my kids will be good, we'll be nice people, we'll go to Christian church, and we'll listen to Christian music, and we'll do Christian, Christian, Christian stuff, and try to be safe, and if you just don't screw us up, peace, devil, right? You ever been there emotionally? Like, if I shelter my kids well enough, maybe the devil won't know they exist. Here's the, 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 the terrifyingly wonderful news this morning. The devil has no interest in a peace treaty with your family. It doesn't matter how on the narrow road and try to, he's not interested in peace for your family. He's interested in destruction and division. Here's the good news. He is actually defeated And everything that we have that God has called us to is ours. We just have to step out in courage and say, the Lord has gone out ahead of me and I will not fear devil because I know who was with me and I know who you are. You see, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men and women take hold of it. It says that in the book of Matthew. And here's the deal. For something to be forcefully advancing, is it offensive or is it defensive? It's offensive. I think some of us in our parenting, and this is going to be tough for us to kind of get our mind around. I think some of us in our parenting are just hoping the devil will not mess with us. If we can just shelter our kids enough and stay on the straight and narrow. And I think what we might need to do as a family is go pick a fight with evil. Right? Because we don't have we don't have the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Buzzubites or whoever else that we fight with, right? But we do have real battles like against things like, you know, there's things that we face like um like like hate and unforgiveness and injustice and inequality and hunger and disease and orphans and racism and lust and greed and gluttony and slothfulness and selfishness. These are enemies that want to steal the joy and the freedom from our family. And the question that we have to say is are we gonna say, you know, just try to forget about me, devil, we'll just stay here? Or do we say, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm learning that, 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 that courage and strength is not the absence of fear and challenge, but courage and strength are actually the presence of confidence and faith in a God has promised to never leave you or forsake you and will actually be ahead of you in the battle. So if we're waiting in our parenting to say, I'm just waiting for this fear to go away and the challenge to subside, guess what? It never will. But you have a God who will never leave you and never forsake you. And he says this, listen, take strength and confidence in me and let's go move the kingdom of God forward. Quick story, and then we'll go down. I'm going to turn it over to Julie. One of the families that has inspired us in their parenting so much is a family called the, the, uh, Diane and Steve Foley. They were mentors for us when we got married. And, and through every phase of parenting, and Julie's going to talk about the phases of fear in parenting. When they had little kids, when they had middle-sized kids, when they had big kids, they risked great things in faith to step out in the, in the battle. And what they would do is actually take their kids like to Haiti, babies, right? Like they would say, hey, what is God not like in the world? God's kingdom doesn't like orphans and terrible things happening in Haiti. So they would take their babies to Haiti and they would go do medical mission stuff when their babies were babies. Most of us are thinking to myself, can I risk taking my baby to Olive Garden or not? Especially if it's in the winter, because if RSV is around, you know how a lot of RSV is, right? How many of you parents with a kid under the age of two wants to just go to Haiti tomorrow, right? No hands, right? They did. And they went with it. Then when they were in junior high and stuff, they took their kids to Haiti and their kids actually helped do like surgeries on people and stuff. And guess what? When I lived and walked with the, 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 the Foley's, they had this weird, and I'm going to talk about it later, this casual confidence that God was with them. 
because they were living a life not with like faith in Jesus. Hey kids, we have faith in Jesus. They lived in such a way that their kids actually had the faith of Jesus. And I remember them telling a story and their youngest son walked away from following the Lord late in his teenage years. And I remember talking to Steve and expecting him to be freaked out. And he had this casual confidence that the Lord was still with them and with him because they didn't raise him to have faith in Jesus, but they raised him in the midst of the battle to have the faith of Jesus. And currently their youngest son is following Christ. And I wonder for us, if it's not time for us to stop being scared and playing it safe, but for us to jump in and pick a fight with the enemies of God and invite our family into the mission of confidence and strength. As Darren was talking about that road, that road where you're like, you know, devil, here's, we're going to make this little peace treaty. I'm going to stay right here in the middle and I'm not going to give 100% to you, obviously, devil, because you're terrible, but it it keeps me from giving 100% over here to God. So you just stay in this middle zone of like safety. And in my spiritual walk, I often call this the gray road, not real creative or anything. I'm not real creative in speaking as Darren is, but I call it the gray road because what I have found in my own life is that for me, the battle that I feel like when I move into the white road, which is the road that is headed towards heaven and it's the one that honors God in all things and it takes all the risks and it puts myself out there and it puts my kids out there and it just, it's really raw and really vulnerable. I feel like then that black road over there where the devil is, those darts, they come more. Boom, boom, boom. And sometimes I'm so stricken by fear and I'm so terrified that things aren't going to go well for me or for my kids or they're going to be hard or they're going to be painful or they're going to be difficult to bear. I slip back over to the gray because I feel like he fights me less. And so it feels easier. But then I get to the end and I feel unsatisfied. I feel like I lack connection with the father. I feel like I lack connection with my kids. I feel like I lack being a whole person, therefore being a whole parent. And so, so many times I'm like, oh, if I just stay on that middle road, the devil won't bother me and God will still love me and it feels easier. And then I still feel so empty. So I slip back over to the white and realize that with that armor of God that he's given me to fight in parenting or in life or in relationships or in my job or wherever it is, that if we walk fully in him and fully in his faith in what we do, he will not fail us. Will it always be easy? No. Will our kids do things we wish they didn't want that they wouldn't do? Yes. Will things that work go bad? Will bad things happen? Yes. However, he creates an armor around us to protect us from that black road so we can walk confidently in this white one. And it says in Psalms 118.6, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I was talking to somebody after the first service and I said to her, we were talking about the message this morning and I said, parenting is the hardest, greatest gift I've ever been given so far in my life. Because it feels like such a beautiful gift to be given these little kids, to raise, that God would trust me to do this. It's been my favorite thing I've ever done. But man, it's been really hard. And it has been full of a lot of fear. And I tend to pick up the fear a lot more. And it feels easier for me to try to control it. I have a very controlling personality. I want, I'm very type A. I want things to go exactly right. I want them to be perfect. I want to set up all the steps so nothing goes wrong. 
So as Darren and I were studying this week, uh, we were talking about these phases of fear. And the very first phase in parenting of fear that we came into was called the fear of life. It's that day when you're leaving the hospital and all of a sudden they put your baby in that little pumpkin seat and they put you in a wheelchair because they think you're crippled and you can't walk for some reason. And they put you in a wheelchair and your husband is standing there holding the baby and all the flowers and the balloons everyone's giving you and that first child and the nurse is pushing you out and then there's your car. And all this up to this point, you've had doctors and nurses and a nursery that they go to at night and your mom and your mother-in-law and your friends And then there's the car, and there's Darren, and there's this squishy little baby in a seat. They're like, bye! And you get in the car, and I sit down in the front seat, and Darren said this earlier. And then all of a sudden, I freaked out and got in the back seat because I was scared that his head would flop over, and then he wouldn't survive. And I was scared all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I have to keep a human alive. I have to keep this kid alive. Like, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Somebody have a manual? Like, I, uh, somebody have a spreadsheet? Like, I need some rules here. I need some steps. How am I going to do this? And yeah, I didn't know. And so you just ask God to help you. And you start to try to see if you will. And you mess up. And things go wrong. And they get their first fever and they make it. And they don't sleep through the night and you think you're going to go crazy. And then they do. And so you survive so far in the phases of, of fear that Darren and I have walked through in parenting. We made it through that one. We don't have newborns anymore. You know, no one, you know, no major tragedies happened when they were really tiny like that. And we did it. We sort of figured it out. And along the way, God helped us. And I started to see this love in a different way than I knew love. The way God loved me and I could love this child but I would continually operate in fear. The next phase that Darren and I have talked about this week as we've been thinking about this for parenting, because we are in no way perfect at this. Uh, Most days we look at each other and feel like we're flying by the seat of our pants, praying that we're handling the scenarios in our life correctly. But the next one, the next phase of fear that I often find in families and parenting is the fear of safety and satisfaction. And the first one is that fear of safety, like, is my child going to fall down the stairs? I don't want them to break their leg. Let's put up 85 different gates so they can't get into any room except this one four by four radius, and they're fine. No one's going to die here. There's no small Legos on the floor. The carpet is flat. No one's choking. No one's falling. No one's splitting their head open. If you had seen my third child in his life, um, I guess by then I had maybe lightened up a tiny little bit for being a type A controlling person, person, but he literally for his entire toddlerhood had like giant knots all over his head because he fell constantly. He was like bruised and battered and beaten. <clears throat> and so you go through this fear of just trying to keep them safe. Let's keep them safe. Let's don't them be hurt. Let's don't let anything bad happen to them. And then as they start to get older, a little bit older, and they can walk better and you know, make some slightly responsible choices, you slip into this, the part of this fear called satisfaction. Are they going to go to school and are they going to like their teacher? Is their teacher going to be nice? Are the kids going to be nice? Uh, Knox, our youngest, went off to kindergarten. He was the last one that goes to full day school. And um, by that point, you're, I'm, I'm just used to it. Everybody's gone to school. We've kind of gone through things. And he came home probably the second week of school. And if you've ever seen our children, they have hair a lot like their dads. And it's not the typical elementary school hairstyle with their mohawk appropriately fixed every day. And, <clears throat> and 
to Knox, that's normal. Like, that's what every boy in our house looks like. And this little boy came up to him for the first few days of school and kept telling him that his hair looked stupid. Well, Knox is really sensitive, even though he's really tough. And he would get off the bus and just cry and cry and cry. And my mama bear instinct was like, who's that kid? I'm going to find him. You know, but... It was, you know, it was really, that was my instinct. Yeah, yeah I but, went to school and I was like, it's called a hairstyle, kid. That's a hairstyle. <laughs> Looked like you've been drugged through a haystack backwards with your bed head going, oh, anyway. oh wait, sorry. That's. But what we had to do. And then in, I prayed and the Lord what, Jesus what we had me. to do sorry. in. <clears throat> sorry. What we actually had to do in that situation, even to our little six-year-old, was to say, you have to use your words, which we hear this a lot these days, but say to him, I like my hairstyle. Please don't talk to me like that. Because my instinct was, call the teacher, make it stop, make this kid go away, send him to the principal. Don't make fun of my kid. But the truth of the matter was, Knox had to go to school and he had to handle it, even at six. And I had to let that go, even when he was crying and it broke my heart. Or when your children don't make teams that they want to make. We're entering into that season of life where we're beginning to tell our children that everything's not going to always go the way you want it to. Things are going to let you down. And so we're in this season of fear of safety and satisfaction. And then the third phase that we're in, and I talked to a gentleman after the last service whose children are adults, and he was talking about a later phase that Darren and I haven't got to. So we can only get to this point today, but the fear of choice. So our son is 12, our oldest is 12 and and 12 and a half. Next year he'll be in junior high. And all of a sudden you're realizing that If I really trust God, I really have to start to let go a little bit. I have to trust that, like, he'll do his homework. Or I have to trust that all the things that we've tried to instill in him through the years to make decisions that honor God and that are honoring to our family, are honoring to himself, that are respectable and kind and good, all those things that we've tried our very best to instill, we have to step back and trust With the fear of our choices, we have to trust that we've done the best we can and that God is with him and that we've raised up a child that will be able to not be, because we've tried so hard to not parent out of fear, but to parent out of faith, that as we let him go every day and the world is in front of him and I can't put safety gates around him anymore and I can't call up the teacher and say, hey, tell that little kid to stop making fun of my kid. Like, he's at the stage now where he has to begin to fight his own individual battles. And I have to step back and trust that all the things we're doing in a faith-based parenting, even though I fear, I have to go back to that promise that it says in Psalms 118 that the Lord is for me. The Lord is for Cole. The Lord is for Ty. The Lord is for Knox. The Lord is for the early wines. And we are walking in this journey to say, I have to let this go. And I truly have to trust that he is the one who will protect our kid. When we feel fear, it's an emotion that assumes we are all by ourselves. So when I get fearful that Cole will make a good decision or that Knox's heart will get hurt or that Ty might not make a sports team. That's me assuming that I'm all alone and that God doesn't care about me or my kids. And that if those things happen to him, that he still won't be there on the other side with something else for them. 
He has a plan for my children. He has a plan for our family. And the best thing I can do in all of my controlling nature is to wake up every day and just let it go. And I tell you what, most days I don't. And I have to recalibrate myself and say, okay, God, yes, I do. Because I trust that if I parent in faith and not in fear, that your promises will not come void. Yeah, and I think one of the ways that, that, that we're starting to see how this affects us is if I really believe that I can, I can not fear because God will not fail me and he won't abandon me, is that, that, that parenting that is full of faith, what we're beginning to see is it creates, uh, it's something Dallas World says, is this casual confidence in life. And I think we can see how it emotionally, fear emotionally impacts our way to interact with our, our family, interact with our kids, interact with our community. Is when we, like Julie said, when that fear says, you know what, you're all alone, what we begin to do is we begin to get anxious and isolated. And like Julie said, we want to control, okay? And here's one of the ways I see this, that, at least in our life, and, and it's just a, a sports story. We do a lot of sports, and you may be like, are you guys really talking about sports? Yes, we are. And so, but it's big in our life because it's big in our kids' life, okay? And here's the deal is I see this because I coach sports, and I'm part of like travel sports tryouts, and it's, you know, everybody wants your kid to, to, to do good, right? We want them to do well and make the team and whatever. And I've noticed a difference is that here's what like that looks like with like fearful parenting, and here's what it looks like with like faithful, full of faith parenting, is the fear says, I want my kid to make the team, right? Because you don't want them to be disappointed and you want them to do good and you want them to be involved in school sports and all these different things you want, right? And then you start getting scared, like what if they don't make the team, then they're not going to like people and they're not going to like themselves, they're going to do drugs and just go crazy, you know what I mean? And you get all freaked out. And so I've noticed that there's some parents that come in and that fear gets them all freaked out when they come to like a, a, tri- a tryout, right? They're that parent that's like looking through the chain leak fins, like their mouth is foaming and they're like, catch the ground ball. You know what I mean? Like they're freaking out and the kid's like crying because he's freaked out. And it's just weird. There's no casual confidence. There's just a freak out moment. And then you get emails from these moms. They're like, it's terrible. Like you're like, are you a human being? Because you're typing this and I'm reading this. You know this, right? Like I'm your neighbor, the volunteer coach. And I'm re- like, people are crazy, right? And where does the crazy come from? It comes from fear. And here's a little tip. If your kids are playing sports, and those sports involve other dads or moms drafting your kid to be on a team, like a rec team or something, I want you to know, if you're a crazy parent, we won't draft your kid, right? I'm just going to let you know, okay? There's conversations in the draft room where it's like, uh, John Doe here has an awesome 40 time, and then somebody's like, don't draft him, mom's crazy. I'm just letting you know, all right? Real talk this morning, Okay? Don't be a crazy mom because your kid won't get drafted, all right? It's a bonus. That's in Habakkuk 26, verse 2. <clears throat> anyway, or next, moving on, is there is an opportunity, and what I see is if we can be parents who are full of faith, who you come into a situation with traveling or with trying out for a sport, and you say, I'd like my kid to make the team. But you say things like this to your kid. Hey, you know what? We're going to do our best with the abilities that God's given us, and we're going to leave the rest to God. And we're going to trust him. If this is something that you do, it's something you do. If it's something you don't, you don't. And if our kid doesn't make the team and they lose, you know what? It's an amazing opportunity for us to talk to our kids about failure and disappointment. Because you know what's pretty consistent in life? Failure and disappointment. Or we can come in and manipulate the system somehow and take our kid off that team and put them on that team and do this. This is just so we can prove to our kids that mommy and daddy will fix all your problems and don't have trust in God, have trust in us. And guess what? They get to be 18 and we're not there to fix all their problems anymore and they lose their mind. 
because we've never taught them to steward freedom and deal with faith. See, fear, it breaks down into the simple things like sports, but it's also the grandiose things of how we love and how we trust and how we live. You see, the cool thing about this is there's great passages in the Bible that, uh, unfortunately, we, we, we make things that we, we, we say like it at funerals and stuff. There's this thought that Dallas Willard says about this casual confidence. And speaking specifically of Psalm 23, he says this. Psalm 23 was not written so that we could recite it at funerals. One of the problems as a church is that so many of the wonderful statements in the scriptures that are meant to reflect the honest experiences of those who have learned to live in interaction with God are in fact ritualistically and magically quoted by people who don't believe a bit of it because they're scared to death. Nothing has ever happened to them that they are certain is the personal hand of God in their life. And it drains out the life of those verses. So take Psalm 23 into the day with you tomorrow. It is the presence of the Lord with us. How would it shape your Monday morning if before you began parenting or, you be, or, or, or did anything, you stopped and said this, the Lord is my shepherd today. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strengths. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I think as we begin to allow those promises to be true and real and applied to our actual life, we will begin to live and to love and to parent with a casual confidence that says, listen, We don't just live with the faith in Jesus, but we actually live with the faith of Jesus, that he's with us, that he's for us, that he won't fail us, and he won't abandon us. Some of the little things that Darren and I do, that if we had to come up with some things that we find as successes, and trust us, we have plenty of things that were unsuccessful in our parenting. We've had plenty of made plenty of mistakes along the way, and we have done um, plenty, plenty of things that were not acted out in faith-based parenting. Um, but when we, one of some of the things that we do, and one of the questions you want to ask yourself as a parent, or in, in a lot of our relationships that we have, is, you know, what are we doing daily to foster and develop a deep relationship with our children? You know, we heard years ago about from a really good pastor friend of ours when during our first starting out ministry, they were the children's pastor. And he said, a lot of times what happens is a child gets to the age six and they're, you know, they're safe, you know, and they're alive and they, they can get their own snacks. They can go to the bathroom by themselves. They can get their own backpacks. They can dress themselves, bathe themselves. They are very, very, very independent And you've been under this, like, you know, well of responsibility for so long that a lot of times parents go into autopilot. They're like, oh, 
we're here. He can do things. She can do things. And you go into an autopilot and you stop fostering these relationships because they seem okay. And then they grow up to be teenagers and you want to kind of get them back. And you've not been there so long that you missed the 16 to 13 and 14 years of building a relationship, a friendship, a camaraderie with your child that then is absent. So one of the things Darren and I try to do is we try to be very relational with Coltai and Knox. Um, it's different for all three of them still because they're in different phases. I find that talking with my kids in the car is a really great one. For boys, boys don't like to look you so much in the face when they talk about big subjects I'm learning. So if we're in the car, in the van, it's a great time for me to be looking forward and them to be looking forward, them not to look at me, but I find out a lot of things from them. Um, That's really, really worked for us. And another thing that I am finding is the more vulnerable I am with them about my failures, the more vulnerable they are with me about their fears. So I have made plenty of mistakes in my life, and there have been many of things when I was a teenager that I look back on and think, oh my gosh, I don't want my kids to know that, but oh my goodness, I need my kids to know that, because the raw, authentic failures of their parents make us a vessel of trust. So a few weeks ago, Cole and I were in the car, he's at the age where I can start telling him stories, and I had to tell him the story of a pretty big failure in my life, and it was so appropriate. It was in the van, we weren't looking at each other, but it spurred a sense of trust, and he was like, did you ever do that again after you did that? And I was like, a couple of times, you know, and we just started into this conversation, and he could see that I'm a real person. I'm not perfect, make plenty of mistakes. And the other thing that we really try to do is we try to tell them we're sorry when we mess up. So often as parents, we think we're right because we're mom and dad and they're the child. But there are days when I freak out and I lose my ever-living mind and I act like a complete crazy person. And then I stop and I have to say, I'm really sorry. Like, I shouldn't treat any person like that. And I definitely shouldn't treat my children. So conversations, authentic relationships vulnerability, and being willing to say you're sorry have been some of the greatest successes that we have seen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you that you've given us the gift of life today, the gift of worship, the gift of freedom to be here today and gather in your name. We love you. We thank you for all that you've given us, for the relationships in our life, and we thank you for our children. For those of us here today that are parents, give us the courage to form faith-based parenting every single day, completely submitted and relying on you. We love you, God. We thank you that you love us. Amen.